2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA member FDSE.
0: Welcome to On the Roads. This is Zach Spedden. joined as always, by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. On tonight's ep- episode, we're welcoming a special guest as Connor Newcomb, the host of Locked on Orioles, joins us to talk MLB trade deadline as well as help us make second half predictions. We'll get to that in a moment, but first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business. It was established in 1959, and it's located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So something interesting happened over the weekend. Bob, Nick, and I actually met in person for the very first time after doing this show for the last 18 months, we went to Sunday's Bowie Bay Sox game, uh, and it was, did not end well for the Bay Sox as they lost uh, by a pretty big margin to the Hartford Yard Goats, but still a good time, and we had a great conversation with the Bay Sox heading coach, Ryan Fuller. Uh, he gave us a lot of really good insight. If you follow our social media accounts, you probably saw a couple of video clips from that interview uh, yesterday, and I will tell you now that it is on our YouTube channel, so you can see the full video there. He talks about Adley Rutzman, Zach Watson, Toby Welk, Kyle Stowers, gets into some of the organizational philosophy on the approach to hitting. That's up on YouTube now. It's about 12 and a half minutes long. Definitely worth checking out. And for those that would like to listen to it as a podcast, good news, we have that coming later this week. So stay tuned on our social media feeds for an update on that as we'll drop a special episode in the middle of the week with our interview with Ryan Fuller. Uh, featured there, so Nick, Bob, just general impressions from our conversation with uh, Ryan.
2: I think it was good. I think it was a fun conversation to hear him get the insights. I, I honestly, I was thinking about it today. I just want to like sit in a room for like ten straight hours with Justin Ramsey and Ryan Fuller and just hear them talk about pitching and hitting. Uh, to be totally honest, because it was it was great. You can tell that these guys are very bright minds in the game, and it's fun to know that these <laughs> Orioles hitters have a guy like that leading the way. So definitely a pretty
1: cool experience. Yeah, I loved it. We need to bring back Orioles Fan Fest so we can get, you know, these panels with actual great smart uh, player development people now in the system. Uh, it was a lot of fun. The interview was actually an hour and a half if you're like me and you transcribe the thing onto a Word document. <laughs> so that that was fun. But uh yeah, it was great. Uh nice to meet you guys in person. It was the first time I ever sat in a press box. That was a pretty cool experience as well. Unfortunately it didn't go well for the Base Sox, but we saw Kyle Stowers crushed a, a home run. It must have been over 100 mile an hour off the bat. So all in all, it was a it was a good time and look forward to doing it again.
0: Yeah, so look for that interview later this week. So we'll interview our guest now. He is the host of Locked On Orioles, the daily Orioles podcast that is part of the Locked On Sports Network. Uh, he's had us on his show several times and he's joined us before and he's back now. It's uh, Connor Newcomb. Connor, how are you? I'm doing great,
3: Bob, Zach, and Nick. Thanks for uh, having me back on.
0: Uh, Thank you for joining us tonight. So we are going to get into second-half predictions in a little while, but we want to talk first about Friday's trade deadline, which this year will fall on July 30th. Most reports right now suggest that rather than the action-packed deadlines like we saw in 2020 and 2018, that this year is going to be a little bit slower because the Orioles don't have that many tradable players. So the end result might look closer to 2019 when Andrew Kastner was the only big name to be dealt do you think that that's where we're heading, or do you think that Michael Elias maybe has some surprises in store for us?
3: I'm going to be honest. Up until probably like a week ago, I kind of felt like the Orioles weren't going to make any moves, like uh, unless you know Michael Elias. If you count some move, like you know, like the Taylor Davis move earlier this year, where he just kind of ships off a, a AAA guy for another team that that needs the depth more than they do. But I will say, a lot of that was because Cole Salser was struggling. Tanner Scott was struggling and honestly Paul Fry was struggling for a little bit. And now in the last, you know, week to 10 days, they have pulled it back together. But I, I will say I think one of those guys is going to be dealt, but I still feel like it's going to be similar to the Andrew Cashner. It's going to be one trade. Not a lot of people are going to know a lot about the guys they get back. They might be similar to Kashner where, you know, we're guys we're not going to see for 5 or 6 years. But, you know, I, they're they're out of of guys to trade and the most valuable players in the Orioles are guys. They definitely do not want to deal right now. And so they're kind of in a, in a weird middle spot in uh, in this rebuild right now where, you know, the, the guys they signed, you know, Galvis Harvey and, and Franco for a myriad of different reasons aren't really tradable at the moment. And so they're just kind of stuck.
0: Yeah. It does feel like even though the Orioles win loss record, you know, it suggested they are one of the worst teams in baseball <laughs> that the rebuild is kind of at a point where you're not in a full-sale fire mode anymore, but you also know that there's a handful of guys on the roster where they've either hit their ceilings, which I think you could argue is the case with Paul Fry or where they're not necessarily going to be there when the Orioles start contending, which brings me to trade Mancini because Mancini is for a lot of reasons, um, a really tough subject because I know I don't think there's an Orioles fan that wants to see Mancini traded but we also know the possibility of him being dealt is there. So I'll just throw this out to all three of you. Do you think Mancini stays put, or do you think that we're going to head into the off season with him having one year of team control remaining and the Orioles having to make the tough decision then about pursuing an extension or looking to see if they can find a trade partner?
1: I will. I'll start, I guess. Sorry, Nick, cut you off there. Um, um, i could see it going either way. I think actually between Mancini and a bunch of guys, I think if Elias wants to trade them, you know, return be damned. I think they can be traded, but Mancini is—he's getting hot again, so that's a good thing in his favor. And I do think he might carry more value right now, mid-season. But at the same time, he is under contract for next year. Obviously, you want to keep him if you can, just for fan interest. But I don't know if Elias necessarily cares about that all that much, but. He's also going to be tradable in six months from now and a year from now if you really want to, you know, get rid of his salary or get something before he opts for free agency if you don't resign him. So I could see it going either way with Mancini. I ultimately think that there will be a trade taken uh, this week with him.
2: I don't, I mean, I, I see both ways. I mean, if you want to keep him and extend him, I'm cool with that. I could see how that could benefit the organization. I could also see how trading it benefits the organization, obviously, but I don't think we can ever count out Michael Ice when it comes to making trades. Uh, you know, I don't think we see anything shocking this week either, uh, unless, you know, some team decides to be really aggressive and unload for Mancini or we get another Michael Givens and Miguel Castro type trade return for Tanner Scott. But I think we're going to see a lot of trades that like only only like four weirders like us who can dig deep and find some good nuggets on these guys. And we like digging deep for that information uh, and we can find enjoyment in that in those trades. But those Andrew Cashner type trades. But I don't think you're seeing anything big. I mean, I mentioned yesterday when we were at the game. I think the Padres do make a lot of sense for a trade man City trade just because. It seems like now they want to dump Hosmer. I know the fans have been done with him for years now. You have Ryan Flaherty. You have Wayne Kirby. You have Manny Machado. This is like Baltimore West out there. I think they would absolutely love to have Trey Mancini in that locker room, which seems like it's probably the most fun locker room in all of sports. Uh, but, you know, I used to know the Padres' farm system as well as I do the Orioles' farm system. And now, like, I don't I don't really know. what's It's all gone. I mean, they've traded pretty much everybody. McKenzie Gore with the yips. Luis Camposano is another catcher. Uh, Orioles fans, I'm sure, would love getting him. But C.J. Abrams, you're not trading C.J. Abrams for Trey Mancini, so I don't really know what the return would be there. Um, so, I, you know, there's been a lot of talk recently about, you know, prospect value is higher than ever before right now, and guys aren't trading prospects. So I think ultimately Michael Ayes has shown the ability. I think maybe we can talk about the Jonathan Villar trade as one maybe questionable questionable trade. But I think we've seen he holds out for the best value for these trades. And unless that comes from Mancini, I, th- I think all these guys are probably staying put.
3: Yeah. On, on Mancini, I've, I've talked about this a lot on, on my podcast, obviously. And I, I think like this kind of goes against what Mike Elias has done for two years. But I think just blatantly for the PR, you can't trade him right now. Like that would blow up in your face more than anything else the Orioles have done. Like if we think, you know, the the copy pasta and the funny reactions to the cashner trade and other things were bad. Like it's going to get seriously bad if the Orioles trade trade Mancini now. And I get the thought of, Oh, well what's the difference between trading him now and trading him in November? Well, you let him play out this full season. You see what he can do in this full year back from obviously missing an entire year, you know, after undergoing chemotherapy and, and, and beating cancer. And, and now you're kind of at the point where, you know, his value, is not as high right now as it was even, you know, in May when he he had a big month for the Orioles. And, you know, one point early this season, he was a major league leader in RBIs. And again, those those first-base corner outfield bats, the market on those guys is not as as big as it is for a lot of other players. And, you know, you, you look at that now and you look at, you know, a deadline that might not be as active where the guys are holding on to their prospects. And, you know, I see the Padres thing, even though they did just – you know, acquire Adam Frazier, and you know they maybe they move Jake Cronenworth to first base as they try to get rid of Eric Hosmer. And you could say, oh, where does Trey Mancini play there? Well, teams like the Padres and the Dodgers, they just find ways to to get guys on the field. But, but still, I mean, I I honestly think they're going to move him in the off season. I think it's going to be really hard for fans, but I think it's going to be ten times harder if they move him right now in the middle of this season. And uh, you know, I think you can also hope that you know he was heating up this weekend. I mean, he hit a ball as far as I've seen guys hit one uh, at Camden Yards this weekend, he had two homers, he's swinging the bat. Well, you kind of hope that maybe he heats up, you know, in the second half and gets his numbers closer to the 2019 Trey Mancini. And then you can say to a team, here's one year of a guy who we just proved is fully healthy, could stick through it for 162 games. And maybe you get a little more value um, in that for that final year. But uh, I I know it's not the way Michael Ias operates, but the, the PR of trading Trey Mancini right now when when you don't need to, I think would just be I think it would just I, I know a lot of fans are are upset now and turned away but I just it would it would honestly take me to that viewpoint for a little bit if if Trey Mancini and, and people who kind of understand what's going on I think it would push some of them over the ledge
0: yeah I don't I don't see now as the opportune time to trade Mancini for all the reasons Connor just mentioned um, the PR side of it and the fact that the market right now for those type of players, corner outfield first base bats, doesn't look that good. The one thing that I don't think Mike Elias is going to do is go into the 2022 season without a plan for Mancini. In other words, I don't think you're going to go into the spring training next year with Mancini still on the roster and no talk of an extension. If Mancini is in camp next year, that means to me an extension, if it hasn't happened yet, is right around the corner. Because I don't think Mike Elias is going to hold on to him with the idea of just riding it out until the trade deadline of 2022 or free agency, because while my expectations for the Orioles are going to be higher next year, they're not going to be playoff higher. They're going to be like 70 and 92 higher. Um, so you know that Mancini does go to free agency. He's not going to play for a playoff team in the meantime, and I think Mike Elias knows that, and for that reason, is not even if Mancini's not dealt now. That decision will be made sometime here in the next few months of, are we going to keep him and make him part of the, the cornerstone for the next contending team, or do we trade him? Yeah. I think, too, with the
2: PR stuff, Like I don't envision the Orioles spending a ton of money in free agency this offseason either, so it's not like they're going to be bringing in another big-name player to, to replace that and kind of make the fans happy. So we're going to have the rest of this season where it is a complete dumpster fire. You trade away Trey Mancini, who's beloved by everybody. And then next year, I mean, we're looking at looking ahead to one of our predictions. We talk about the rotation. Mine's not very like rosy. Uh, so, and these top prospects I'd imagine, unless there's some drastic change with the CBA, I, a lot of these top prospects, we're not going to see till much later next year either. So I mean, you're looking at this roster with, five more Matt Harvey's and no one to replace Trey Mancini you start 2022 yet. No one's walking through those gates at Camden yards next year. So that I wonder how much of a factor that does play into all of this.
1: No one would be happier if we sign him to a short extension three years or so than me, but I just can't see Elias doing it with uh like O's Van therapy on Twitter said, Adley we should expect to get some time at first base when he's up to limit his time at catcher. So unless Mancini is going to sign for like six or seven a million a year, which I don't think he is. I think the latest he'll be on this roster is about a year from now.
0: So talking about Tanner Scott for a moment, we'll go back to the bullpen. Scott has a few more years of team control left, but he's pitching really well right now. Um, If you're the Orioles, do you hold on to him with the idea that maybe he can actually get a little bit better than he is right now, be a little more consistent, improve his command even more? Or do you think he's hit a ceiling and now's the time to look for a trade partner?
2: I think me personally, you sell now. I mean, I saw this discussion online, I think a couple of days ago. It was the whole, the Tanner Scott debate. Do you keep him? Do you build your bullpen around Tanner Scott? Or do you trade him now, try to get something of value out of him? And with me, like this team's not competing next year. 2023 is a question mark. So yes, you want to have a strong bullpen. That's going to help you win championships, uh, clearly. But uh, the Orioles aren't competing anytime soon. And relievers can blow up in your face at any moment. And so me personally, I think if the team comes calling and offers you something healthy for Tanner Scott, I say see you, sell high. I have no issues with that whatsoever. And I've I've been waiting years to see Tanner Scott finally pitch well, and it's sort of happening. But yeah, I feel like you got to deal him now.
1: I think he is this year's Michael Givens circa 2018, 2019. I think this is a guy who, if he puts it all together, could be like Andrew Miller when the Orioles acquired him, could really turn into something special at the back end of a bullpen. But unless Elias is overwhelmed by a package, uh, I don't think he's going to trade him right now. I still think he's got like three years of control left. So he's someone that he can definitely hold on to and retain a lot of value going into next year, even a year after that. So I think if he gets an offer that is like, okay, we're not going to do any better than this. He'll do it this year. But I just don't see that coming through right now. Maybe if he was as lights out as he was in 2020. Uh, up to this point, that would be the case. But at this point, I think he's going to be a trade deadline candidate for next year for me.
3: I think they might deal him. I think he could potentially be the one player, the Orioles deal. And you know, you mentioned kind of comparing it to Michael Givens. I kind of compared a little bit to Miguel Castro last year, where we had seen Miguel Castro be this incredible reliever. And we'd also seen Miguel Castro at times just not get anybody out. And you look at the stuff he threw and you said, how do people back-to-back home runs against him. Why is his ERA this high? And it's similar to Tanner Scott. And, you know, obviously at the worst, Tanner Scott is much worse than Miguel Castro. But at the best, he's honestly better than Miguel Castro. And so there's so much variation. And obviously he hasn't been as good as 2020 this year. But he's still been good. And I think this could be the time to just take a little bit of a risk. Yes, you're risking the fact that he might finally put it together on another team. And be you know twenty twenty Tanner Scott throughout an entire season or two seasons or three seasons, you're taking that risk, but you're also risking if you don't trade him, you missing this value, him losing the strike zone again for another year, and then you know you hold on to him for all of twenty twenty two, and then you don't know what to do. And you know he just turned twenty seven a couple of days ago. It's not like he is some twenty two year old, twenty three year old you know flamethrower who you're still trying to rein in. He has a lot of MLB innings. He has a lot of time in the system, and I think. If you can convince a team to get maybe even just a Miguel Castro type return where you're getting one pitcher who you really like and you send him to a contender who wants to use him as just a, you know, fireball lefty in the sixth or seventh inning, then, you know, I think you take it. And I, I do have a feeling that, you know, Mike Elias maybe just wants to feel like he can capitalize right now because I think Tanner Scott at his best is worth a lot. And I am worried that it might fall apart again. And they could end up with nothing because, again, at 27 and with how volatile he can be on the mound, I don't see him being a closer of the future. And which means maybe, you know,
0: take advantage of his value right now. So, Simpkin Tribute just wanted to know how many years of team control the relievers, uh, Tanner Scott, Paul Fry, and Cole Saucer have left. Tanner Scott's under contract through the 2024 season, will be arbitration eligible for the first time after this season. The same with Paul Fry and Cole Saucer is currently a free agent through the 2025 season. One thing to note is that Cole Saucer, despite his limited major league experience is 31 years old. So we want to focus on where the development curve is. I think what you're seeing from Cole Saucer is
1: what you get. And that's sure. exactly why I think he's going to be traded this week. <laughs> I think him and Fry will both be traded actually an Orioles stats, stat-ist, status one. Sorry about that guy. <laughs> Uh, He asked, think we can get a top 30 guy for Fry or Saucer? I'm assuming he means in the Oriole system, Saucer. I think maybe not. But for Fry, I think we might be able to get someone that gets towards the back end of our our, uh, top 30. Because like you said, he's got three years left to control after this year. And one guy, I think I saw the Oakland A's are looking for relief pitchers, as pretty much everybody is. And I think they also need some help up the middle of their infield. So I have proposed a trade of Paul Fry and maybe Freddie Galvis, if he can you know, prove he's recovering from his injury in a rehab assignment this week. For Colin Palouse, if that's how you pronounce his name, I think he's the 11th ranked prospect for them on fan graphs. He just, just looks like a, an Elias guy. He's a 23-year-old in high A. He's got fastball, slider, changeup. It just looks like a bunch of the guys like uh the Bronovich, that type of guy that Elias has been acquiring and I think it would be a good fit and we'll see if it happens. Yeah. Train all the relievers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just
1: train them all. We got we got
2: uh Eric Hanhold, Dustin Knight, uh Evan Phillips <laughs> down in Norfolk. Come, just trade them all. We got we got the cavalry coming up in, in the bullpen. It's all right.
0: You know, the one that we call Salser, I would point out, I, I don't see the Orioles getting top thirty for him. I'd be happy with someone that comes in like a forty to forty-five range in our top fifty. Salser was a waiver claim, so if you claim someone, you get you know a season and a half, two seasons, however you want to count twenty-twenty, out of him, and then you get you know international signing money back or a you know younger guy that's in a Dominican summer league now that could be a nice lottery ticket. I think that's a win for a waiver claim especially one that, you know, I think is hitting his ceiling as a reliever.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. So Sim
0: Tribute asks, do 40-man winter decisions impact whether Elias wants double-A players or rookie types? To my way of thinking, no, but I'm curious to hear what the three of you think about this.
1: I think long-term, it's going to be kind of like, in a best-case scenario, it's going to be kind of like the Tampa Bay Rays where they're constantly, it seems like, making trades to – clear out guys that need to be put on the 40-man or were recently put on the 40-man and they want to make room for the next crop that's got to go on the 40-man. They're just constantly shuffling that. And I think if Elias's elite talent pipeline comes to fruition in the next year or two, that could definitely be a scenario. But right now, I don't think so. I think you just want to get the best guys that you can for the guys that you're able to trade.
3: Yeah, right now, the Orioles' 40-man roster is not at the point where, you know, 35 of those guys are guys that you really, really want. Like, you know, obviously your top prospects are not on the 40-man right now. And, like, you know, you, you go through the 40-man roster and, you know, you've got Thomas Eshelman. Um, you've got, you know, just Kelvin Gutierrez. You've got, you know, Richie Martin is is still there. Um, You've, you've got some guys who are extremely expendable on the 40-man roster, which means you're going for the best prospect, you know, no matter – what level they're at, you know, wh- where they need to be this offseason. You're going for the best players in your system right now. But I agree with Bob. Like, I would love the Orioles to get to that point where they need to clear
0: 40-man spots for good players to give 40-man spots to better players. So another question here from Simken Tribute: Any chance Barrias uh, has built a modest market value, particularly with Galvis back relatively soon and Jones lined up for second base? He probably has. Um, and I know that Eric Longenhagen I think included a blurb on his preseason report of Reyes that he could be a utility type that contenders target at the deadline. Um, but I kind of look at Reyes and think that that might be someone the Orioles hold on to at least until he gets to arbitration because he's showing right now that he is useful in a number of ways. He's a younger guy and a guy that could fill a void for you over the next couple of years. So I think unless you know that right offer comes along – he's probably sticking around for a while.
1: Yeah. I don't see any reason for your eyes to be traded right now. Like you said, I think he's got two more years before he even hits arbitration and it's not like there's a shortstop banging down the door at AAA right now. That's, Who's the shortstop for the Orioles next year? If it's not Freddie Galvis or someone like that, back on a one-year deal. So, I think right now Urias is probably the favorite to be the starting shortstop on Opening Day, 2022. I don't know if they trade him, but at the same time, like you said, it's not like if the right offer comes along, he wouldn't be traded. I just don't think he's really fitting that mold right now.
3: Yeah, I, yeah. I think I'd hold. I think I'd hold Arias long term at this point. I mean, I talked, when the Orioles claimed him on waivers from the Cardinals last year, I talked with Kyle Reese, who does a great job covering uh, the Cardinals system, and he kind of had a prospect crush on Ramon Arias when he was signed out of the Mexican League, and he basically was telling me how he felt like the Cardinals gave up on him too quickly, and, you know, obviously in St. Louis, like Paul DeYoung can't hit anymore for some reason, um, and, and, you know, even though they have Arenado, uh, they're probably looking for another infielder, but I would I would hold Arias. I think, you know, he could be like if he's playing like this, like if he's your utility infielder, your your you know, fourth infielder, whatever it may be, and filling in for injuries on a on a better baseball team, like I like him. He's got a lot of years left. Like I wouldn't even think about dealing him unless of course somebody came along with this crazy offer. But it hasn't even been long enough for another team to come along with some great offer. I mean, it's been, you know, two months of of good play at this point.
2: Yeah, and like Bob mentioned, there's no one. I mean, Mason McCoy has really struggled this year, so I don't think he's a guy you bring up for the bat. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think who else in that roster. Richie Martin might come back for a few games at the end of the year, and even then he's lost two-plus years of development time. Uh, So he's not really an option anymore at this point. I don't think so, yeah. Urias is a guy who you definitely want to keep around, especially on this roster because there's really no one – I mean, your Westberg, your Gunnar Hendersons are still a couple of years away. There's really no one else. Even a Bowie, Taron Vavra, I mean, hasn't even really got to play this year. Uh, the injuries wiped him out. So when is he going to be able to come up and maybe help out the roster some? So, yeah, he's definitely same with, one. Same with Joey Ortiz. Yeah, Ortiz as well. That could have been a guy. But, yeah, he's out for the rest of the year with his surgery. So, yeah, or is definitely a guy you want to keep around and hold on to.
0: So another question here from YouTube. Um, would Houston be a potential trade partner for a reliever? Elias does know that farm system well. Could Forrest Whitley be in play for one of the relievers?
1: I'm sure he does know the their system well. And if there's a fit, I'm sure they can make it work. But it's not like the same guys that are in charge there now or when he was there. So I'm not sure how much of a relationship they have currently. Uh, I don't know if you want Forrest Whitley, if they think – they they can get him healthy and rebound, but I think he's just kind of damaged goods at this point, excuse me, and, you know, whatever. I think Houston just needs to hold on to him and hope that they can kind of get him right at some point. I don't know if that's uh, who you want to target right now.
2: Those guys right now, you're not in a position to, to take risk like that. <laughs> we're we're Go after younger, I'm fine. If you're going to trade for somebody, trade in these relievers, and I'd rather go after the 16-year-old kids out of Dominican than a, a guy like Forrest Whitley right now, to be honest.
0: So one name I wanted to bring up um, on the position player's side is Pedro Severino coming into this year. I think we all had reasonable hope that Severino would hit well enough over the first half that someone would trade for him. I've said on this show before that I don't see Severino around next year because of how close Adley Russman will be and that Severino will be arbitration eligible again this off season. He got off to a really bad start and was pretty much bad at the plate through the all-star break but has been coming on lately. Do you, any of you think that there is enough there with Severino that even a team could come along and offer the Orioles, say, half a million international signing money or a lower figure? Is that a move you would make, or do you think it's even realistic at this point? I,
2: me, personally, i say if someone wants to come along for Severino, I thought last year or something there were talks about you know teams inquiring about Severino, but then he just fell apart this year, it seemed like. But if you're a team that wants to take a chance on him, I know catchers are thin, and he does have that offensive potential now. If there's a team that wants to trade him, I say go ahead, (laughs) because I, at this point, I think you bring up Brett Cumberland. Bring him up. Let's see what the bat can do offensively, and maybe next year if we have a DH in the NL and Cumberland can swing the bat well, that's a guy you maybe throw in a deal somewhere in the offseason to boost up a trade with an NL team because uh, we know Cumberland's defenses might be a little hit or miss behind the plate. And I think we're, we want that defensive stalwart behind Adley when he comes up and Cumberland's not going to be that guy. So I, I want to showcase Cumberland's bat right now at the major league level and see what we got.
1: Yeah, I wrote about Severino on the my three-up, three-down column this week or today actually, and he was actually in the three-up column. Might have been the first time this year. He came out after the break and has hit over 300 with 390 on base and he actually has a double and a hermer since the all-star break and if we're going to trade him he's definitely getting hot at the right time I'll take anything for him I'll take uh, cash considerations whatever you got I mean he he can't catch the ball when the pitchers throw it to him he can't frame the pitch and he hasn't been hitting for almost a year now since the second half of 2020 so yeah if someone just needs a backup catcher or a bat first option, then maybe they come calling and I don't think it will take much to get a deal done and like Nick said, Brett Cumberland is another bat first catcher type and I'd rather see what he could do at this point since he will have six years of control left and let's see, give him a tryout to be Adley's backup next year, at least to start, so yeah, if if anyone wants him and same with DJ Stewart, this uh, Vivek brings him up, he thinks he might get traded. I think he neither one will be on the Orioles in 2022 at least on the 40-man roster, so Yeah, if anyone wants them, come and get them. But I think it's more likely than not just like a a DFA situation at some point.
3: You guys can clip this and put it on Twitter if if I end up being wrong. But there is a negative chance that DJ Stewart or Pedro Severino is traded. I mean, they, they don't bring value. To the Orioles, honestly, at this point, <laughs> they're not going to bring value to another team. And and to be honest, like there's teams who are going to add kind of those under the radar backup catchers. When you add those guys, you're looking for a good defender with a kind of a sneaky bat, like uh, when the Padres added Nola last year at the deadline, like you know a guy who they, they thought could project with a better bat. Pedro Severino, like the I don't, I don't think he has a sneaky bat. Like he's probably a better hitter than he's been this year, maybe. But he, you need somebody who can like at least somewhat controlled the game a little bit and he's just he'll be on the Orioles the rest of the year they'll probably DFA him and Stewart in the offseason.
2: Yeah. If you're looking for a catcher, I'm probably calling up maybe Pittsburgh and going after like
0: a Jacob Stallings type deal yep. for for sure. So Orioles status asks, what are the chances we move uh what are the chances we move Means? I'm going to say non-zero. Uh I just don't see him going anywhere for a couple of reasons, one of them being the fact that he's coming off the shoulder injury. Um, and has looked a little sluggish out of the gate. And I, while he was brilliant at the beginning of this year, that's still about two and a half months. And I think he can give you more value either by hanging around for a few more years or by coming out of the gate in 2022 strong and being dealt that. But uh, what do you guys think? Is means uh, stay or go?
1: I'm going to put it at 0% chance he's traded for multiple reasons. Uh, the first is – I still think that Means is a extension candidate. I still believe he'll be Michael Ias's first extension for the Orioles. But even if he's not, he's still got a lot of team control left. He's a great pitcher. That's the only guy you can count on right now to stabilize the rotation. At the same time, even if, say, the Dodgers and Padres, they're bidding on who can get Max Scherzer, uh, the Padres get him, the Dodgers want to counter, they're not going to offer enough to the Orioles to justify trading John Means to them, I don't think, especially coming off the injury the questions with the sticky stuff, which I think is a little overblown, but he's rust- rusty just getting coming back from injury. So I just, I don't see a fit right now. Maybe at the soonest this off season or next year, you might be able to start thinking about that, but I just, I don't see it happening. Do
2: uh-huh. you don't think Bruce Zimmerman can be the ace on next year's staff when Means is moved and he's all that's left in this rotation? I mean, no, Means is not going anywhere. That's If anyone's getting traded, I think my like overall perception of this is I say Mancini stays, John means stays, and if anyone is moved, it's gonna be one of the relievers.
3: Yeah, it's it's all about trading when value's high, and and John means value hasn't been this low since you know the second or third start of of 2020, and you know it's 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 I don't want them to do it at all, but this is certainly not the time. So I'm surprised we don't get this
0: question. I think we do get this question every week, but we'll take it on again here. <laughs> um, when do you see Jemai Jones coming up? Watching Vuleka at second is rough right now. Um, don't disagree Try with that
1: shortstop yesterday.
0: <laughs> um, I guess we see Jones by September 1st. That's kind of a game, like kind of something that I can't really predict anymore. I feel like, but I'd say maybe later in August we see Jones.
2: Yeah, I think I was going to say this because this is one of our prediction type questions. I was going to include Jones in this, but I'm going to say there that, you know, I think, I enjoy the Jemai Jones banter. And honestly, like if, if we're posting clips or anything of Jamai Jones on Twitter at this point, it's just to add a little fuel to the fire because I love the responses to it. Uh, I'm fine that he's been in AAA for right now. I, we, we had a good conversation about Jemai Jones last week, uh, but I, I think he does come up very soon. I, I think it, it's all going to be happening. We got the vibe yesterday at the game that this could be it for Adley. Uh, we think we, you we know, we we're trying to figure it out that his family, he had some family right in front of us. Uh, and and I said, he's there to help him move into Norfolk and help him settle it down there. But um it's Adley's going to be up in AAA soon. Like Jemai Jones is going to be in the MLB soon. Like it's, it's all going to play itself out. It's just this year has just exacerbated everything times a hundred.
1: Yeah. And Potholomew do not apologize. We'll take this question every week. If we have to, I've been predicting he's going to get caught up every week since about the middle of May. So I'll say it again. This is the week he's coming up this week. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I know it's so hard right now as an Oriole fan with the product that's and put it on the field, but just have some patience. It'll happen. I know Connor feels the same.
3: Hey, after three home runs last week, Papalake is not going anywhere. So uh, <laughs> everyone might just have to hit the brakes on that one. Plus, we got to wait for Jemai Jones to win a uh, minor league gold glove before he can get to the majors. So see him next year.
0: So we'll move on now to our the predictions part of our show. We're going to make predictions for the second half. But as you know, when we make predictions on On the Verge, we first go back and we recap – our predictions for the last time we had a predictions episode. In that case, we did one back uh, before the major league season started. Bob is here to recap it, and it's uh, not really pretty. And thank you to Bob for going back and uh, pulling all of this for us.
1: Yes, it was. It was so much fun to kind of realize how wrong we all were.
3: I mean, listen, predictions—they're—they're they're meant to be wrong. So, uh, <laughs> hopefully, wrong in a good way. I'm expecting. That's not the case, but...
1: All right, so here we go. Our opening day predictions. We started off with who is going to be a Rookie of the Year finalist, if anyone, from the Orioles. And I predicted two Orioles would finish in the top three of the Rookie of the Year. Um, I thought Moundcastle would win, and Dean Kramer, of all people, would come in third place. Um, Nick also thought Moundcastle would win Rookie of the Year, and Zach was a little more modest and put him at second place. So there's still a chance he could he could finish in the top three I doubt he's gonna win but what, what do you guys think now
2: uh, I think I have lots of thoughts about Dean Kramer that I'm just gonna like keep to myself because I don't I'm not in the hot take business or industry but um, I, I have some pretty spicy takes there that I just Dean Kramer's not finished in the top three of any award uh, probably ever I'll say that
3: <laughs> I would uh okay. I would say that Mountcastle still has a chance. I think to win AL Rookie of the Year. I mean, to be honest, Vidal Brujan and Taylor Walls just both got sent down, and Wander Franco's hitting like 190. So,
1: hey, that's better than Jared Kelnick. Yeah,
3: yeah, and Jared Kelnick uh, hasn't had a hit since like uh, I think he was in single A. So, uh, you know, there's still a chance here.
0: Yeah, the, I didn't have Mountcastle winning it because I thought that between Kelnick and Franco, one of them would win. But that's not looking like the case right now, so you can't rule Mountcastle out.
1: Yeah, I think uh, Adolis, for some reason I'm blanking on his last name, the Texas Rangers outfielder is probably the favorite right now.
3: Yeah, Garcia.
1: Garcia, yeah, okay. There you go, thank you. <laughs> uh, we nailed this next one, the prospect graduations by the All-Star break. We all said Ryan Mountcastle, Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, and Bruce Zimmerman. So I think that is the case. So those are the four. That have graduated. Congratulations to us. Might be the last one. Players <laughs> traded before the deadline, which is kind of uh, fitting right now, as this is the episode we're talking about. Zach, you said Paul Fry, Pedro Severino, Freddie Galvis, Michael Franco, and Cesar Valdez would all be gone. I mean, that is a heck of a busy trade deadline if, if all that goes down.
0: Not going to happen now. <laughs> but <laughs> uh,
1: Nick, you said Pedro Severino as well. Paul Fry as well. So Tanner Scott, which you're sticking to your guns there, Uh, Sean Armstrong, and you had Pat Vileka getting sent out for a nice haul. I don't know if that was traded or I actually just said he's just
2: like released into oblivion. But either way, he's sticking around forever.
1: You didn't say traded for what? So we'll, we'll give it to you. I went with Santander Mancini, Matt Harvey, Michael Franco and two relievers. I did not specify again. Busy, busy, busy. Uh, I don't think that's much of a possibility, if any, Mancini. And maybe if someone's buying into the fake accounts out there that fooled me yesterday, Matt Harvey's going to the Nationals for uh, 11th-ranked prospect. But uh, <laughs> All right, who makes their Orioles debut first, Jemai Jones or Ryland Bannon? All three of us said Jemai Jones, but that still hasn't happened. So Ryland Bannon is, poorly; he's hitting, he's on the 40-man, so he might get his chance first.
0: I think in the end we'll all get this one right, but the fact that it's July 26th and that question has not been answered yet is kind of surprising to me. I figured that we would see at least one of them by now.
1: Yeah, for sure. Most at-bats and innings pitched for prospect-eligible players. Of course, we all said Ryan Mountcastle for uh, hitters, or at-bats, excuse me, and that is correct. Uh, Zach and Nick, you both said Dean Kramer, and I said Bruce Zimmerman. I'm not sure exactly who has more innings pitched, but doesn't really matter. We can't talk about Dean Kramer anymore, right? No, please don't. He's <laughs> he's turning into my chance, Cisco now. <laughs> <laughs> uh we went wild on the home run leader predictions. At least I did. I had a top five. I had Mount Castle with 33, Mancini with 31, Hayes with 29, Santander with 27, and Franco with 23. I'm <laughs> I think the, the final answer might be under on all of those. Nick and Zach, you each said Mountcastle Castle would delete the lead, but, and home runs as well. Nick, you had him at 29 and Zach with 32. Most surprising debut, I had Brett Cumberland. I think that could still happen. So crossing my fingers there. Uh, Nick, you said Tyler Irwin who I believe we saw him pitch yesterday for Bowie and kind of get lumped a little bit. We saw him do something yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to call it pitching and uh, Zach, you had Zach Muckenhurn, who was released before the season even started.
0: Yeah. Couldn't we have just recorded this episode like three weeks later? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a rough one. <laughs> uh, biggest prospect storyline. I said, use Neil Diaz, huge arrival, going to burst onto the scene and, and make a run for it. So that's just as good as Zach Muckenheim, right there. <laughs> Zach, you said Norfolk and Bowie will have dominant rotations, and you're half right for sure. Bowie's doing great in that regard. Norfolk, not so much. Nick, you said two of the seven who that's what we were referring to the group of Zach Lothar, Bruce Zimmerman, uh Kevin Smith, I think is even including that that little, you know, mid mid uh prospect ranking under Grayson Rodriguez and all. You said two of them will make their presence known. Which two?
2: I mean, I feel like Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken have made their presence known in some <laughs> form or fashion, so I think I got that one right.
1: Nailed it. Chris Davis plays this year. We all said no. Of course, Rio Ruiz survives the season. We all said no. That was pretty obvious. Uh, MVO, most valuable Oriole. Me and Nick both said Austin Hayes, which maybe if he could ever stay healthy, could have had a shot at that. Zach, you said Trey Mancini. Note that Cedric Mullins has not been mentioned one time in this prediction show, and I do not believe that he will be. Uh, All-stars. Let's see. We all had Mancini making the All-Star game, and we all had Tanner Scott making the All-Star game. Zach had Ryan Mountcastle, and I had Austin Hayes. It just wasn't meant to be. No Cedric Mullins there. Cy Young for the Orioles. Nick said Bruce Zimmerman. It could end up happening. Zach and me, we both said John Means. We took the easy and obvious answer there. Rookie of the year, not named Ryan Mountcastle. I took Dean Kramer. Shame on me. Nick took Jemai Jones. And Zach said a combination of Dean Kramer and Usnell Diaz. So (laughs) that's a bonanza. Pleasant surprise. Zach, you said Usnell Diaz again. That's one of the most disappointing Aspects of this whole minor league season, for sure. Uh, I said Freddie Galvis. I feel okay about that until he got hurt. And, Nick, you said Jorge Lopez, who, hey, he stayed in the rotation all year.
2: I, I, I'm on the bandwagon of put him into the bullpen, and I, I love the stuff. I still love the stuff. And he, he's pulling at my heartstrings now with, with his son and that story there. So I can't I can't say anything negative about Jorge Lopez right now.
1: Yeah, I saw some word that he might be non-tendered in this offseason, but I I don't think so. I think he's going to be brought back, at least as a multi-inning arm for next year, but we'll see. Disappointment. Zach, you said Pat Vileka. I think by our comments tonight, uh, you nailed that one. Nick said DJ Stewart. Ding, ding, ding. Two for two. And actually, this is one where we all did pretty good, because I said Pedro Severino will be untradeable. And uh, I feel really good about that. (laughs) World Series. Let's see if we still uh, are going to stick with these predictions. Nick, you said Atlanta Braves over Tampa Bay Rays. That's not happening. <laughs> Braves are done. Zach, you said the Dodgers over the Twins.
0: Well, of course, the Twins are going to do it like the 1914 Braves. Gonna win. They're going to win however many games are left on the schedule and they're going to go to the playoffs and they're going to win the World Series after they get Byron Buxton to sign an extension for $10. <laughs> it's all going to fall right into place. No, they're not gonna yeah,
1: exactly. win. Yeah, I think I feel okay about mine. Padres over Yankees, but unfortunately the analytics are killing the Yankees and they might not make the playoffs. So what are you gonna do? And we had a whole bunch of over-unders, but I really don't think they're all that interesting. We mostly had the same answers. So maybe we'll check back on that at the end of the season.
0: So now we get into and this is Connor can now play this fun game with us where we're gonna have our <laughs> mid season predictions. And I'll let Connor actually go first on this one, which is, will any player or players not currently on the 40-man roster be called up before the season ends? If so, who will they be?
3: I mean, Mike Elias has shown that he is willing to call up any pitcher. And so the most deserving one right now is Dustin Knight. And uh, we I mean, we got to see him at some point. And uh, if honestly, if he does a backflip on the mound at at Oriole Park, that that'll be that's a successful 2021 season to me. (laughs) Um, So I will definitely take Dustin Knight. And then other than that, the the options don't look um, nearly as great. Maybe if if something happened. Um, with injury wise you know we could maybe see like a Zach Jarrett but I, I think uh, I'm going to say Dustin Knight
2: yeah I, I'm going to go with Brett Cumberland uh, just because, like I mentioned earlier I, I want to see how the bat plays and I think this is a good year to go ahead and see how he does at the major league level um, I do think that maybe yeah it's probably going to be a lot of pitchers though Sean Armstrong could probably come back I mean Evan Phillips is there, Connor Wade's there, Cody Carroll, uh, Fernando Abad. I mean, just relief arms that aren't part of the future, but they're going to help you hopefully get through a week at the major league level. Um, It's kind of like a wave of depression just kind of set over me, just reading off those names. Those are the guys we're probably going to see later this year. But at least you can say positively that Sean Armstrong hasn't been just like bullied to death down in AAA over the last week or so. So there's, there's at least that, but I'm going with Brett Cumberland.
1: All right, so I think we're going to see a few on the 40-man shuffle. Uh, I think my relievers or my pitchers that we could see added are a little more optimistic than uh, Nick's there. I have Dustin Knight, Manny Bereda, Marcus Deplan and maybe Eric Hanhold. So a little bit <laughs> better. I think Brett Cumberland will be up at some point. And I also put Zach Jarrett. It's going to be pretty embarrassing for you, Snell Diaz, when Zach Jarrett makes his major league debut before him.
0: I'm going to go Dustin Knight and Brett Cumberland. Uh, I think Cumberland's going to get there because of all the reasons we've talked about tonight. I think he's major league ready at the plate and you just want to see what he can do. Dustin Knight, we know the Orioles are going to need relief help. I think he's about as strong as an option as there is down there right now. Um, So I suspect that any of those guys. So it's the Orioles status one who just asked the question, uh, Michael Ballman. Ballman is on the 40 man roster. So he's not eligible for consideration there. But I'll just throw that out there. Do you, any of you think we see Ballman uh, in the majors this year, or you think he's pitches in the minor leagues for the rest of the year? I'm gonna say no, just because I mean his last couple starts, he's looking really good right now, and
2: the velo seems consistent. Uh, but yeah, I don't. It's been a long road back. I think for Bauman this year, and I just say keep him. I'm fine with keeping him in Double A to be totally honest. If they want to finish out the year there, uh, but I, he's definitely not making the majors this year.
1: Hot take. I think he will end of September. I think he'll get some time in the bullpen.
3: I think we'll see him uh, in triple-A at some point, maybe a couple more double-A starts if he keeps pitching this well, get him in that Norfolk rotation. Um, maybe even just get him and, and somebody else up there who we'll talk about and just give Dean Kramer a breather. But might, might might be the best move.
0: Uh, I think he makes it to Norfolk, but I don't see him making it to the majors this year. I just think that, that with how cautious the Orioles have been so far, and rightfully so that they've been cautious, I don't think they're going to rust him. I actually think there's a better chance that they put Kyle Bradis or Kevin Smith on the 40-man roster and have them make their debuts before they put Ballman in the majors this year. So for our next uh, prompt, you got it, Bob?
1: Do we want to answer Nathaniel's question about Spencer Watkins? What are our thoughts and hopes while I get that up?
0: Yes. Uh, So I'll just say that I think Spencer Watkins looks good. He's keeping the Orioles in games, and that's all you can ask for. If he does that for the rest of the year, I'll be very happy.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's a great story, and it's one of those stories that I feel like this year, you know, it's only could happen with the Orioles, which which is really cool. And, I mean, as long as he stays, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe the Padres, they need pitching help, and they'll trade for him. Uh, but, no, um, I think as long as this, he finishes strong, I mean, he's going to be a candidate to be in next year's rotation. And I'm excited to hopefully get him back on the podcast after the season.
1: If he can have the command that he showed in the last start, I mean, he's going to be quite all right at the major league level, but that's going to be tough to top. All right. So what's our most surprising major league debut going to be for the rest of the season? Let's start with Nick. Uh,
2: most surprising debut. I'm going to go with, I'm going to say Robert Newstrom. Uh, you kind of mentioned the, Connor mentioned the Zach Jarrett thing and uh, you guys are talking about how embarrassing that would be for using ODS, but I think Newstrom, you know, is, is a pop-up guy this year. Uh, I feel like, there's always a little bit there with him, but this year I mentioned he's been a really good case study for what the Orioles are doing with hitters. Uh, pretty successful so far in his triple A call-up. And I think if maybe some guys get moved, they go ahead and dump some guys from the 40-man roster. I think DJ Stewart, I mean, is like below replacement level. I mean, you can bring up anybody and get more value than you're getting at DJ Stewart. So why not reward a guy like Robert Newstrom or Zach Jarrett, uh, who are actually performing well in the minor leagues and deserving of that opportunity. Uh, instead of guys who are just kind of floundering with their opportunities. So I'm going to say Robert Neustrom. Richard Z
1: approves.
0: <laughs> I'm going to take Neustrom as well for all the reasons that Nick just mentioned. And I don't think it ever hurts in the later part of the season to, if nothing else, have that extra power bat um, around, even if you're not going to play Neustrom every day, just to put him out there you know, as a late-inning substitute or to let him start two or three days a week would be good experience for him. Um, so I, I'll say Neustrom.
3: I like the Neustrom pick. Um, I'm going to go maybe even more off the radar, but a guy who actually played at the same college as he did, I mean, I just feel like they might try out Mason McCoy. Not because he's particularly earned it with his numbers at AAA, but I think they were counting on Richie Martin to be that kind of depth infielder with the defense that he has and with him maybe being out for you know this this whole season. They may not get him back at all. You know, and with the shortstops coming up behind Mason McCoy, like Ortiz and Vavra, if healthy, could be knocking on the AAA door next year. And so maybe you want to at least give Mason McCoy a bit of a look, and and that might happen at the end of
1: September. That's an interesting pick. But how about this for a surprise debut? Yusnel Diaz. Um, Maybe if he can finally get through this turf toe, get healthy, start hitting a little bit, and then uh, he makes his debut, and all is uh, forgiven.
2: I think that definitely would be a surprise right now. Um, uh, will Grayson Rodriguez and or Jordan Westberg earn another promotion
0: before the season ends? Uh, we'll go Zach first. I've struggled with this one. I think talent-wise they've earned it, but my guess is that Rodriguez pitches out the rest of the year um, in Bowie. And I do think that we'll see Norfolk – or uh, sorry, we, we will see Westberg there before the year is over. I think that he's playing well enough to earn it. He probably will start next year at Bowie anyways. So the opportunity for him to get some at-bats late in the year there, especially with the fact that Joey Ortiz is not coming back this year, we don't quite know what Terran Vavra's status is. And with that in mind, there is an opportunity for Westberg to go to Bowie and get at-bats. So I think Westberg gets promoted, but I think Rodriguez you know, is left in Bowie to dominate the rest of this year.
1: I'm going to say that, Grayson Rodriguez, actually his poor start this weekend made me change my mind. I was going to say he gets promoted to Norfolk before the end of the season, but it's not so much that, you know, he was so bad. He still struck out five guys swinging in the five outs he recorded, but it just shows he's human. And I think, you know, just let him stick in double-A, finish out the year, and then start triple-A next season. And Westberg, that's a tough one for me. I could see it going either way, but I'll say he stays at IA Aberdeen for the rest of the season as well and just starts next year at double a if if all else fails just count on michael Elias being conservative with his permissions
3: yeah i i uh all due respect to like Malkin canelo and alexis torres but um you know especially as you said with vavra and ortiz out like jordan westberg's been so good at two levels and he was such an advanced college hitter when the orioles drafted him like you know he was pretty polished for a college guy at mississippi state I think he's ready for double a know, when I had Zach on locked on Orioles last week, I went a little bit of a hot take and gave him my minor league MVP for the first half um, just to be so consistent at two different levels and, and basically, you know, go up a level and not lose a step. I think he could do it again. And honestly, you know, with the Orioles, you know, ability to, you know, promote Bradish and Kevin Smith, you know, fairly quickly up to triple a, I mean, I've talked about how, you know, Rodriguez was obviously just too good for high a, He, you know, after that start two starts ago, like he looked too good for double A against a good like Torkelson green lineup in the Tiger system. And, you know, I wouldn't give him too much time in triple A because I I think it's probably good for him to continue to dominate double A and feel good about the season. But maybe you give him two or three starts at the end of the year.
2: Yeah, I think Rodriguez is a maybe. I I said last week on our show that I think Rodriguez looks just about major league ready. Not that he's going to be promoted to the major leagues, but he looks that good. I think he could hold his own. And maybe that's just from watching Orioles pitchers. It's got me a little little off kilter about uh, what high quality pitching looks like at the major league level. But um, I think he's at about 65 innings right now. And if you're looking at eight or nine more starts, if he stays in buoy, that's about 100, 110 innings. If I was doing the math right, uh, so I think the Orioles probably – we've seen how they've kept pitch counts low with some of these top prospects, their innings low, uh, so, or at least manageable. So I, I, f- I don't know if they'd be willing to move him up to, to Norfolk and say, all right, give us three or four starts against A competition, ramp it up a little bit right before we shut you down, uh, if, especially if we can make it, knock on wood, uh, we make it through this whole year healthy. That would be my only concern there. Uh, but he's definitely earned that promotion if they do give it to him. Uh, but I'm going to say no. And Westberg, you have to move him up. I think he's about mastered high a at this point. And if anything, get him up in that buoy locker room with with that coaching staff and that lineup, because Aberdeen's been kind of rough this year right now. And I'd say get him on a winning team, get him with these other hitters in that lineup with Stowers and Zach Watson. And let's see what these guys can do. But yeah, Westberg Westberg is going to be a fast, fast riser, I think, in this system.
1: And to counter my own points, um, you, someone's going to have to replace Adley Rutschman's bat in the middle of that order. So why not Jordan Westberg? And for Grayson Rodriguez, I think I saw today that the AAA season goes about a week or two longer than the A. So maybe if they just want to get him a couple more starts at the end of the year, they move him up then.
0: So for the record, when we go back and listen to this in a couple months, are you flipping your prediction on Westberg?
1: No, I'll be the oddball. Because if just go the opposite of what I think, then... Uh, seems to be right based on history
0: all right so i'll go to my next prediction prompt here which is who gets the most starts at second base for the orioles in september i'll start with connor here
3: Ramon Arias. i think freddie galvis comes back he goes to shortstop the orioles aren't able to deal him arias goes over to second you have to play those two every day because honestly galvis is playing really well before he got injured and arias is swinging one of the hottest bats on the team right now and then you just peek over at third base and uh, you know, it's Michael Franco and then just kind of if he gets DFA'd, maybe you see some other guys. Um, but I would love to see Jemai Jones, but the Orioles kind of are in a better spot at second and short right now than they were in April and May, assuming Freddie Gavis comes back healthy.
2: Jamai Jones is pretty cold right now, so I mean, we can all cool it with the uh, call him up a chance, but... I'm going to say Jemai Jones just because I feel like they go ahead and bring him up. I feel like the back does come back around, and, and they say, "Let let's do this. Let's see what you got." I think you're ready. Uh, but I think realistically, my head does agree with Connor's prediction there that that makes a lot more sense of where the Orioles would go. But I'm going with my heart here, and I'm just going to say Jemai Jones.
1: I'm going to say it's Jemai Jones as well, only because I kind of think Freddie Galvis is going to be traded. I don't see any other reason why. They're going to rush him back to a rehab assignment right before the deadline. I think they're just trying to prove he's healthy so they can move him. Uh, So I'll say that Urias will get most of the starts at shortstop, and Jones will get most of the starts at second base.
0: I'm going to say Urias at second. And while I do think we see Jones at the end of the year, somehow I think the Orioles end up taking advantage of Jones' versatility a little bit. So that means that Jones also gets some time in left field and maybe center field of those days where they want to give Cedric Mullins a day off. And so I suspect that while the number at second base might be kind of close at the end of the month, that Arias will have more consistent time there and uh, end up with the most starts.
1: All right, so the next question is is mine, and I'm actually on cue this time. That's pretty good. Um, Kobe Mayo finally broke out with the bat last week in the FCL, hit three home runs in two games. Uh, he walk, He's walked in nine consecutive games, and he just seems to be seeing the ball a lot. Better after just mostly hitting singles in his first few weeks there. Do we think he's going to make it to Del Marva before the season is over?
2: I'll start and say I don't think so, just because Del Marva already has a lot of young guys down there who I think probably finished the year. And we, they've already seen that Colton Cowder and Connor Norby, they want them. Uh, it seems like they're going to be set for Del Marva soon. I think maybe, maybe even looking at some of the other college bats they drafted, like uh, Colin Burns, maybe. I, I really. I'm more iffy on him, but uh, Dante Williams from Arizona, I think he's a guy you could probably put up in Del Marva. So I just don't see, think there's any room. And Mayo's so young, I don't see any harm in keeping him in the FCL for the rest of the year. And then starting Del Marva next year, and if you need to bring him up at Aberdeen quickly, then you can do that, kind of like what they do with Westburg. But I think just enjoy the numbers we're getting out of Sarasota from him. And, and we know Eric Garfield's going to keep us uh, uh, locked in there with the videos
1: of him.
3: Locked on, <laughs> yeah. The official, the official FCL uh, uh, reporter for all of all of Orioles Twitter is Eric Garfield. But yeah, I mean, I honestly almost feel like if he were in this draft at this age, maybe yes. But the Kauser and the Norby point is a good point, and also like even those guys at his position, like uh, Ryan Higgins from Fresno State. Um, you know, he is a third baseman. He's older. Um, you know, they're going to probably start him at the FCL, but just because of the age difference, you know, he's got three plus years on Kobe Mayo. Um, I'm sure we, you know, if they're looking for strictly a third baseman, I'm sure they, you know, move up a, a guy like Higgins over him. And again, there's, there's no, uh, real, you know, destruction to to him in any way to just let a teenager, you know, even if he's dominating the FCL, let a teenager dominate the FCL for the rest of the year, live in Florida and, uh, get his confidence up going into 2022.
0: Yeah, I don't think he makes it to Del Marva either. The stats might justify it, but I think there's enough there are enough bats coming out of this draft class that are going to go to Del Marva most likely that there's probably not going to be room for him and I don't see any harm in just letting him, you know, get on a hot streak down there, dominate and start at Del Marva next year.
1: Yeah, I think there's a chance he could force his way up if he just starts obliterating uh, FCL pitching over the next couple of weeks, but yeah, it's like you said, with all the guys that are just about to come in and it actually seems like these position players are gonna get time uh in FCL and then hopefully Del Marva. I'm not sure there's room for him. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with him starting and playing all of next season at twenty years old, starting in Del Marva and then hopefully making his way up to Aberdeen before the end of twenty twenty two. So I think we're all in agreement there.
2: Uh, this next one, this is one of Bob's questions: That who will be the seven Orioles minor leaguers headed to the uh, Arizona Fall League this year? Um, I mean, I think
1: we can go ahead. We'll start with we'll start with you, Bob. All right. Yeah, I just thought this was a, a good way to kind of segue into the A.Z.L., which is returning after not being there last year. And I think it's always interesting the strategy teams take. Is it? Are they going to pick guys who? kind of on the edge of making the 40 man so you want to see what they have a little extra look or is it guys that didn't get enough innings slash at bats from injury during the season and I kind of did a combination of that I think DL Hall might show up there since he's missed some time here in the middle of the season get his innings up heading into next year same with Anthony Servideo and Taron Vavra I think there's a chance you could see them get some extra bats usnell Diaz or, or Zach Jarrett, whichever one doesn't make their uh, major league debut this season. I wonder if that's kind of like a, let's see what you got. Show us before we make a decision. Nick Vespi, he, uh, same thing. He missed some time. And especially out of the bullpen, I think he could use a couple innings. And Cameron Bishop is another one I had. And last and, and really the one with the bullet, Adam Hall. Because I think he's a, uh, a guy that needs to be put on the 40-man or else be risked. Which I don't think would happen taken in the Rule Five draft, but he's had a disappointing year, so maybe give him one more chance to reestablish himself.
0: So I'm going to go um, similar to what Bob had there. I'm going to go with Teren Bavron, I'm going to go with Anthony Servidio. I'm going to go a little bit different path. I want to see what Kyle Stowers does against the top prospects in the game, so I'm going to send him there. I also think that we see Caden Grenier there because Rainier is Rule Five eligible after this season. And I think that you've seen enough, you know, he's been streaky at the plate this year, but you see what he does. Um, beyond that, I I don't think we see D.L. Hall, but I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe a Kyle Bronowitz there because of that. Again, see what he does against older competition. Uh, so I'm at five now. Yeah, so I would say that those five, I'll throw in Maverick Handley too, uh, just thinking that that might be interesting to see what he does Handling different pitchers, see what he can do at the plate. And I'll put in Jordan Westberg. Um, he's having a really good year. Showcase him among the top prospects in the game, see what he does. So I'll predict those seven.
1: Nice.
3: Yeah, I like Westberg. Um, that was going to be my first choice just because, you know, if he rises up to double A, you want to keep him at around that level of competition. And if he doesn't, maybe you want to give him that look um, before next year. I think kind of, um, Ortiz and Vavra are also good choices, uh, just because of the injuries. And and, uh, I do, you know, I feel like they might want to fully shut down DL Hall, maybe. But I'm thinking if he comes back at the end of the year, maybe they add Hall, um, which gets me to four. Um, Stowers, I agree with. Um, I think he's a guy who they start thinking about that. You know, where does he fit next year? Where does he fit among our prospects? You know, this year is going better than people expected for Stowers at Double A. Um, and then other than that, I guess Adam Hall, I mean I guess let him run out there against the top prospects and see what happens again. You know, he's not even he's not even 20 or you know, he's just about twenty-two now, so you know, he's still got a chance. And then um I had a couple more names. I like the the Grenier pick, but maybe just um I was gonna throw out Robert Newstrom. I know he's he's facing better competition in triple A now, um, but I think he has risen better than anyone thought. And so despite getting to face like 4A pitchers, which will help them get a read on him, you maybe want to have him face some of the best arms as well all fall and maybe really you know continue to get a look at Neustrom because I think he's in a better spot now than, than at the beginning of the season and really in a better spot in the system than I think anybody thought.
2: I think if pitchers, I'm probably – I think I don't think we see a lot of the top guys. I think we see a lot of Cameron Bishop type pitchers probably go this year because I feel like the Orioles will probably want to control that more, keep them in Sarasota in, in their own labs. I'm gonna throw out one more name though and, and say this is what I want to see. I want to see Lamar Sparks out there get more at bats, get more playing time, and let's see if you can hit these guys because if you can bang it against these top prospects, then uh, we can send Lamar Sparks stocks uh, up a little higher. I'm just I'm holding on I'm holding on to that. I can't let go of Lamar Sparks.
1: He's been playing good, lovely. So this is one of the
0: more, uh, like, my favorite random stat of the season. Despite, you know, being one of the Orioles' most reliable relievers, Tanner Scott does not have a save this year. Does he get a save with the Orioles before this season ends?
1: I feel like he has to, right? Come on, let's give him one. Why not? Everyone else is getting a shot. Uh, It can't be much worse than, uh, I don't know. I'll say yes, but if, if Nick is right and he's traded, then clearly time is running short. Yeah.
3: I'm
2: saying no because he gets traded this week.
3: I'm gonna say no. I, I also think he's gonna get traded and and he did he had his chance. He was one pitch away um last week against Tampa. And uh I just they have so many options now, even if he's not traded. Like I feel like Wells, Tate, Fry are kind of all above him in the you know, carousel that has been who's the Orioles closer. And so I'm gonna say no. Either way, whether he's traded or not.
0: I'm going to say yes, because I think that if he isn't traded, there is still um, you know window for him to get saved, obviously, before the year is over. Even if he is traded, though, I get the sense that the Orioles-Marlins series is going to be kind of tight. And I wouldn't be shocked if Tanner Scott goes out on the mound in the next two nights and records a save and then is traded. So I think in either scenario, he gets it. So, yes.
1: All right. All right, well, this this was a fun question, I thought. When the season ends, what do you think Orioles fans, and particularly us, will be expecting the starting rotation to look like at the beginning of 2022? Let's start with Connor.
3: Well, John Means is your easy number one, and I think Bruce Zimmerman is your number two. I mean, people, I think, have forgotten. I think it's, it's underrated how much the Orioles missed Bruce Zimmerman since he got injured. Like, he's no ace, but five innings, two runs from Bruce Zimmerman every time out there is, like, much needed compared to what the Orioles have been getting for a while. So I would put him in there. (sighs) Uh, Number three (laughs) is um, insert veteran starting pitcher. They signed to a one-year deal, um, like the better version of Matt Harvey. um, I will put in there at number three. Um, Number four, somebody's going to emerge – from this group of guys we all talk about and you know what, I'll give it to the hot hand. So I'll say Alex Wells is your number four. And then number five is, yeah, let's, let's, you know, I believe in him. Let's, let's go Kyle Bradish.
2: Nice. I like that. I'm going to go. John means Bruce Zimmerman, uh, Alex Wells, a, some free agent. And I'm going to go Tyler Wells. No, no right. Dean Kramer on my list
1: anywhere. Wasn't even in consideration. <laughs> or Cedric Mullins.
0: <laughs> we're talking about the Orioles. We can't go into the into spring training with the expectation of five starting pitchers. So I think it's going to end up being closer to seven, and we're going to have to sort it out. So John Means is in there. Bruce Zimmerman is in there. Then I'm going to throw Alex Wells and Spencer Watkins in there as well. I think if Watkins continues to pitch the way that he does, I don't see how you leave him out of the rotation. And even at that, I think he's pitched well enough so far to you know at least enter spring training on the bubble. They'll have a couple of veterans in there. and somehow I think that one of Kramer, Bauman or Smith goes into camp with a shot at getting a rotation spot. So I think it's going to be a really crowded field. and my, my expectation right now is that much like this year, we're probably not going to have a five rotation set up in, or five starter rotation set. Up until the end of camp,
3: okay. hey, I do have to say, you make a good point about more than five. So I do want to throw in my sixth name, and that's Wade LeBlanc.
1: Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Bring him back. <laughs> we need him. Oh, uh, honestly, it would not have been that bad to have him <laughs> this year a little bit longer. you been okay uh, for the Cardinals. <laughs> I, of course, have John Means, number one, Bruce Zimmerman, number two. Uh, I put veteran free agent slash Spencer Watkins uh, at number three. I think, you know, you see what Watkins can give you. Obviously, we're rooting for him for the rest of this year. And then you bring him back next year to compete with that Matt Harvey, uh, King Felix type, hopefully better, that they bring in for the third spot. And then I had Alexander Wells four. I just think he's going to do pretty well here the last last year. And and I think either one of Michael Bauman or Kyle Bradish is going to win that fifth spot in spring training. So one will be five, one will be six.
2: Hope to see some of the rookies, but we'll see.
1: Uh, Which 2021 draftee
2: has the most impressive short campaign to close out the year? Uh, We'll start with Connor.
3: Oh, I mean, well, I guess I'm the most well-versed on all these draft picks, considering I am trying to do an episode on every (laughs) single one of them. Um, I mean, to be honest, I think, um, you know, we're, people are going to jump on Colton Cowser like every time he strikes out probably, and just start tweeting under slot, under slot Orioles are deep. Um, it would be really nice for him to be the one who has the best end of the season. I feel like that would just make things uh, a lot less, um, you know, vitriol on, on Orioles Twitter. Um, but honestly, for me, um, I just hearing about Dante Williams and about how much like people just thought he was kind of a fourth outfielder, um, light hitting, you know, defense first center fielder. And like, honestly talking to some Arizona people about him, he was kind of, you know, started his career kind of like a Cedric Mullins and was thought of as a Cedric Mullins. And so I think Dante Williams, his power really came in his senior year at Arizona And all of a sudden, that left-handed bat went from a singles/doubles guy to a guy who was a serious power threat. And you know he's a little bit older, um, so he could get to Delmarva pretty quickly. And I think uh, he will surprise some people because people were surprised he went as high as the fourth round.
0: I'm going to go safe pick and go with Colton Cowser. I think that he'll do well in the Florida Complex League, and I think that he'll do well when he gets to Delmarva. Somehow, I sense that Cowser is going to be one of those hitters. That even if you don't look at his stat line, um, you know each season in the minor leagues and think, "Wow, you know that guy's was the best hitter in his league." I just somehow get the sense he's not going to be overmatched anywhere, and I think you're going to see that this year out of the gate. So I'll go with Calder, although I agree with Oriole's status uh, one here that Norby's going to look good from the get go as well.
1: Yeah, I um I was really close to going with Norby because I think he is going to rake from day one, like uh, Orioles status said. But I ended up going with John Rhodes. I think Orioles fans are sleeping on him a little bit uh, just because he has, like, the most boring name of the guys we took early on. I think that actually is playing a part. And he didn't put up the most, you know, eye-popping numbers. But I think he performed really well in the Cape Cod after the college season. He ended the season on a strong note. Uh, you know, he's a complete athlete who can play all over the field, and I don't know. I just feel like he's gonna put his name on the radar, make up for the for the fact that he has a board name.
2: I'm gonna go with Connor Norby. Then I think it was a pretty. I feel bad by saying safe pick, uh, just because. I, but I love the all the terms you describe him are just everything hitterish in every version of hitterish you can think of. So I'm gonna say Norby. I think he led the nation in hits this year. He keeps that ball rolling and has a pretty solid year. Don't worry about the home runs. Just get in the plate and do what you do best. We'll tweak stuff if we have to next year. For right now, just get in there and hit. I think that's what he's going to do.
0: Um, Which prospects will fall off the radar by season's end? And I will note to the panel now that you cannot pick Dean Kramer or Keegan Aiken from this uh, <laughs> spot. Sorry, but we're going to just take that off the board now.
1: Uh, I'll hop in real quick and take an easy answer for Ryland Bannon. Uh, he kind of already has, at least in my eyes, Uh, I know we had him at the back end of the top 30 going into the season and right now I have him into mid to low forties in my top 50 rankings. So yeah, unfortunately I, it's banning for me.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna take Diaz and just I, I think you see him slide pretty hard. I feel like when we had Eric Loggenhagen and Alex Fast on, uh, when we asked both of them about their thoughts about using El Diaz, I felt like and I don't want to put words in their mouths or anything or speak for them, but I got the sense that they were had to force some positivity out when talking about them. Uh, and that kind of stuck with me. And, and so and I think another injury season, I think you see Diaz fall the very back end of top 30 list going into next year. And I think that's, it's, we're near in the end, I think, for him, unless he has some big drastic turnaround and finally stays healthy. But I think that's a long shot at this point.
3: Yeah, I think it's got to be Diaz. I mean, I talked about this with Zach last week as well. Like, I am legitimately a little bit worried that he never plays a game in an Orioles uniform. Um, he can't stay healthy, and it was really bad in between these last two injuries at the plate at AAA A. Um, And another guy I'll throw in who not like he was high on anyone's list, but I felt like when the trade happened, people were a lot higher on Isaac Matson. I think it's become clear that he was probably the number four pitcher of the four that they got for Dylan Bundy. And I just don't know if he'll be an an impact arm at the major league level at all.
0: Those are both uh, good choices. I think, but I'm going to go with Diaz. I just think that with where he's going to slide either, if he doesn't get back on the field or he doesn't get back on the field and hit this year, he is going to slide. And it's not just going to be because he's struggled when he's been healthy and he's been hurt a lot. It's going to be because the Orioles' outfield depth has gotten better this year. And now you're seeing where Robert Newstrom is breaking out. Zach Jarrett has put together a nice year. And then right behind him, you got Kyle Stowers breaking out at Double A. Zach Watson's putting together a year that I think has exceeded a lot of expectations. So I think Diaz is the guy that unless – He's able to come back and put together a really strong month or so at AAA and make the major leagues. Like Nick said, he's probably sliding to the back part or the very bottom of the top 30 going into next year, if he's in it at all.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, My next prompt is the future closer award. And let me clarify that as current minor leaguer future closer for the major league team for the Baltimore Orioles. Let's go with Zach first.
0: That's a tough call right now. I um, I like Selton Perkins quite a bit, and I really want to you know see what he does as he moves up, but I also get this sense that uh, a few years from now, we're going to be looking out at the center field gate, and Zach Peak's going to be running in uh, out of the bullpen there. So I, as much as I like Selton Perkins, for right now, I'm going to take Zach Peak with Perkins or Ignacio Feliz as my backup
2: nice can't get wrong with shelton perkins uh i'm going nick vespe 2022 t-shirts are being printed right now free yard sign go to nick 2022.com sign up for my newsletter it's really just nick vespy highlights in your inbox every weekday morning nick vespe <laughs> i've
3: uh i've been on the train since like last year and so i'm just going to continue it um i think michael bauman ends up in the bullpen And I think he's just a good enough pitcher to be the Orioles closer and kind of be a like fireman closer where he gets you more than three outs.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility. It's pretty interesting. We all have different answers because I went with Ofelki Peralta, who a guy we've been talking about converting to a reliever for quite a while now. And clearly Elias is stuck with him, believes in the arm. And I think at some point he's going to be throwing that touching 100 mile an hour gas and blowing it by people at the end of ballgames.
2: All right, so last one here, uh, and then we wrap it up. Uh, which prospect gains the most traction by the end of the season? Let me start with Bob.
1: All right, um, I'm going with Garrett Stallings. I know he's kind of become my pet uh, pitching prospect of late, and it's just because I think he's going to prove to be so much better than he started the first half of this year, giving up all those hem runs. So, I think he's going to finish really strong. I do think he's going to make it to Bowie before the year is out and continue his success. And I think people are going to look back on the Jose Iglesias trade as a trade where we got two really good arms in Garrett Stallings and Gene Pinto. That's going to be my choice, Gene Pinto. Uh, I, what he did at the Florida Complex
0: League was really impressive. The little bit of Statcast cast data that we had from down there, we know he hit 94 in at least one start. Uh, I don't know that he'll do enough this year to be that guy that's going to be a lock, to be a top 30 going into next year because he's so young and has so little experience. But Pinto has, I think, pitched so well now that you can't just look at him as a throw-in in that Iglesias trade anymore. And I think that you have to see that as the Orioles picked up two really intriguing arms, one of which in Stallings is a guy that you know is putting together a nice year at high A, if he can keep this success going, maybe gets to the majors in a couple of years, whereas Pinto is a little further away. But a guy with a high ceiling, uh, i curious to see what he does for the rest of the year because he has looked great so far, and I think that things are only looking up for him right now.
1: Can I just point out real quick that uh, – sorry, Nick um, – that but with Gene Pinto and uh, Isaac DeLeon and Michelle Desan, this is real credit to – the Orioles scouting department and international scouting team and Kobe Perez, all these guys who are seemingly throw-ins and all these deals have turned out to be like pretty interesting international prospects at a young age. So yeah. shouts out to them.
2: Definitely. Um, I'm going to go with Kyle Branovich just because I, I think the velocity numbers kind of hold him back when like national evaluators are going to look at this system. Uh, Zach Watson could be an option too, if he ends the year strong and buoy, but uh, my pick's going to be Branovich just because I think he has the most room to move up prospect list. And uh, yeah, I, I love what he's seeing. He doesn't walk anybody and he's hit the ground running at double A. So I think there's that. Um, I think of got disconnected. He's back now. But our last question was, which prospect do you think uh, makes the, the biggest jump this year? Which prospect do you think has the most helium as the season ends?
3: Oh, that's – uh see, I would have – I wanted to jump on either the, the Joey Ortiz or Taron Vavra train because those are the trains I was jumping on early in the season. But, you know, who knows if we'll see Vavra and obviously no Joey Ortiz. Um I think – I don't know. I like Hudson Haskin. Um, he got promoted already, um, which is, uh, which is good for him to, to get to Aberdeen. Um, and again, like, I think everybody talked about his funky swing, but once we've seen it time and time again, it's not as wild as I think we thought. It's just, you know, a unique swing at the plate more than like, oh no, this needs to be fixed. And, uh, he can play the outfield. He can hit. And, uh, you know, he is, is also a younger guy cause he was just a, a draft eligible sophomore, but he's held his own at Aberdeen now. And and I just kind of like him as, you know, I don't know if he's ever a a future middle of the bat guy, but I think he's going to hit his way to where he is, you know, one of the best hitters in Aberdeen to end the year and a guy who starts in Bowie next year. And we start to think about, you know, where does he fall into this outfield conversation with Newstrom and Stowers and and everybody who's still going to be at the major league
0: level next year. So there's one question to Orioles' status one threw out earlier that I wanted to hold aside until the end. And note, this is not a prediction. It's just a general question. And when we were talking about Jordan Westberg and Grayson Rodriguez earlier, he asked if we think we'll see them in the major leagues in 2022. And I'll uh, throw this one to Connor first.
3: I think Grayson, yes. Um, I want to see him on opening day. We are not going to see him on opening day unless something crazy happens with the CBA where they just knock out a bunch of service time rules, which I don't think is impossible, but it's close to it. Um, So as long as the rules stay pretty similar, we're not going to see him on opening day. Maybe after the all-star break of 2022, he's up. And, you know, honestly, I can't wait for that because I know that the Orioles aren't going to be good next year. They're going to be better than this, but they're not going to be good. Um, And I would just love for like a Strasburg debut esque day at Camden yards when like, they don't just kind of do it where like, oh, we need an extra arm. Here's Grayson Rodriguez is going to pitch out of the bullpen today. Like they've done to, you know, the Akins and the Wells and the Louders. And like, this is a different thing. Like they are going to call up Grayson Rodriguez three days before he's starting and say he is starting on Saturday night. Um, come to the ballpark. And if they want to do it like that, then I'm okay with waiting until the second half of the season for Westberg. He obviously, you know, we haven't even seen him at double A yet. So we just don't know enough. And, you know, the Orioles have been, you know, making sure everybody masters every level. So if he does master double A, I think he'd go to triple A. And it's really all about what the Orioles look like at shortstop next year. You know, do they bring back a Freddie Galvis type or do they try to run with Jones and Arias um, and see where that takes them? And I think if there's not a veteran there next year, then obviously it's a better chance um for a, a guy like Westberg but I would say no on Westberg just because even if there isn't that veteran like maybe they give Richie Martin you know maybe that one last shot next year to see what he's got because he's missed the last two seasons with injury
2: that's gonna be Carlos Correa right that's gonna be our shortstop uh next year <laughs> so yeah, I think Rodriguez for sure I love that idea like I got chills thinking about that like let's do this a big giveaway night Sometime late July, early August. Let's have fireworks that night at Camden Yards. I mean, the whole thing celebration celebrate Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, against the Nationals, we'll see how late that series goes again. Um, he needed a nice cake game to get him at the Major League level. So, Nats would be a good one. Uh, definitely him. Westberg, uh, yeah, I don't think so either. I think it's this is just his first year of pro ball. He is playing very, very well. And I know a lot of Orioles fans, it's like some guy goes two for three with two home runs one night, and it's like, promote him now. Uh, It's like, just, it's okay. We'll be all right. They'll get up there
1: soon enough. Yeah. A thousand percent barring catastrophe. I don't even want to say what I mean when I say that with Grayson Rodriguez, (laughs) Uh, he'll be up by mid season this time next year, I'm assuming. And Jordan Westberg, I agree. I think early 2023 for Jordan Westberg, maybe by June 2023 is more along the lines of what I'm thinking. And then Gunnar Henderson, a little bit after him in 2023.
0: Yeah. I think we see Rodriguez, um, sometime after the first few months of next season. And then Westberg, I think, is going to get held back till 2023. I've reserved the right to change my mind there. But I think between – I think even if he gets to A this year, it might be such a narrow period of time that he starts there again next year. And I'm hoping – thinking and hoping that there will be enough infield depth in front of him that they won't uh, have to put him in the major leagues because they'll have Taron Vavra, they'll have Jemai Jones, They'll have Ramona Darius and hopefully have a healthy Joey Ortiz. And I think that would be enough to keep Westberg back until early 2023. So we'll now go to the segment that Nick, Bob, and I do every week. And we'll give Connor a chance to jump in here if he'd like, which is we look outside of our top 30 list and highlight a prospect whose performance we've been impressed with recently. I will start off and I'll mention the guy that Nick uh, talked about earlier, and that's Lamar Sparks. Over the month of July, Lamar Sparks is hitting 274 with an 807 OPS at Marva has belted three homers. Now, that's a very small sample size. I will give you that. But this is someone who's still just 22, has struggled with injuries over the course of his career, and at a time in a not-too-distant past, was actually considered a top-30 prospect in the system. Now, mind you, like 2017, 2018, the farm system was a lot different then than it is now but it still tells you that people a few years ago thought that Sparks had some upside and if he's able to stay healthy in Del Marva for the rest of the year i think that there are signs he's going to show that so sparks is my pick this week
1: i like that pick cuz i mean he at least he's pretty patient at the plate i like his ability to draw walks and obviously he's got some raw power there some raw tools so hopefully he can continue to refine it and that hit tool can kind of improve as the season goes on cuz i like what he's been doing he's been getting better as the season's going on
2: Definitely. I'm just happy to have the opportunity to watch him play now, finally. It's been a long time, and we finally get to watch him on Delmarva. Shout out to Delmarva for showing games on MLB TV
1: now this year. Nick, you want to go next?
2: Yeah, I'm going to go throw out Garrett Stallings. Uh, I know we kind of mentioned maybe opening this up a little bit more, and so Stallings is kind of on the back end of our top 30 list, so I'm going to throw him in there. His last couple starts have been fantastic. His last three full starts, he had a fourth one that was shortened by rain, but – 19, 19 innings pitched this month, a 0.95 ERA, 0.8 for a whip, 15 strikeouts, three walks, only one home run allowed after he allowed like seven last month in June. Um, you know, if he's figured out how to keep the ball in the ballpark while keeping the walk rate down, I think Stallings becomes a much more interesting prospect now this year. So great month for him. It's really good to see that.
1: Yeah, I think he'll be in Bowie fairly soon, like I said earlier. My guy is going to be Zach Watson, who was the last of the Johnny Reiser, Kyle Stower, Zach Watson trio who seemed to be connected throughout the years here to make it up to Bowie. And I think it's just pretty cool. We talked to Ryan Fuller before the game, like we mentioned, and he had a lot to say about Zach Watson as well. He said, you know, for as slight of a frame as he has and as fast as he is, he actually is showing some surprising uh, exit velocities. He, his game winning hit was 103 miles an hour. Uh, on Saturday night, and then he said he hit the ball as hard as he ever had in his career, but it happened to be foul. So I just think it's cool that a guy with, that can play that good a defense and steal a bunch of bases uh, might have some room to grow as far as hitting for power in the outfield. we got a lot of outfield depth in the Orioles, and don't forget that Zach Watson is one of them.
3: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in and go way off the, the beaten path, way off the list, um, because this is the kind of guy that I enjoy to see doing well. Um, guys who come in from Indie Ball and get signed into the organization. Um, and Gregory Vasquez, who was a pitcher the Orioles signed a few weeks ago out of Indie Ball, and his first couple appearances were okay in Del Marva. Uh, but I believe on Sunday out of the bullpen, two innings, uh, no runs, one hit, five strikeouts, struck out five of the seven batters he faced. And, you know, he he had been around affiliated ball for a little bit, then went to indie ball. He's only 23 years old. Um, and they liked his stuff enough to, you know, with the depth they already have in the system to pluck him out of Indie ball. And that's always awesome stories when guys like that uh, can start moving up the ranks. And, again, he's a little bit older. So, you know, hopefully if he pitches well, he can at least get to Aberdeen where, you know, the guys are mostly around his age. And then we can really see, you know, what did the Orioles uh, see in this guy when signing him out of, out of independent baseball?
1: That's funny. Because
2: Go ahead, Nick. I was going to say, that's that's how you, that's how you end uh, one of our episodes there, pulling off a, a big, deep name.
1: I was going to say that's funny you mentioned him because I saw his name pop up. And I'm like, oh, this must be one of the older guys from the FCL. Let me look more into him. No, signed him at Ball. That's pretty interesting. So, yeah, clearly they saw something that they liked. So definitely someone to keep an eye on.
0: That's a really good pick, Connor. We like having those kind of players highlight in this segment. And as uh, our regular listeners know, Nick, Bob, and I do that every week. We're going to continue to do that for the rest of the season. So, Connor, before we wrap up tonight, again, thank you so much for joining us. But can you uh, tell our listeners where they can find Locked on Orioles and – to check out what I think is one of the best Twitter accounts in Orioles' Twitter, which is at Locked on Orioles.
3: Yeah, you can follow me there, at LockedOnOrioles. Uh, we'll tweet out whenever the you know, podcast episode comes out, try to get a lot of content going on the account. You can follow me at ConnorNukem underscore as well on Twitter. And then the podcast uh, every day, about a you know 25 to 35-minute episode, Monday through Friday. Um, right now we are fully in draft mode. Um, I didn't expect the Orioles to be winning as many games right now. Uh, so, I guess I should focus a little bit more on the major league team as they win, but uh we are gonna profile every single draft pick and undrafted free agent. They are each gonna get their own segment on their own episode. um if you're watching this here on on Monday night, uh tomorrow on Tuesday, uh Carlos Tavares, the fifth round pick, the right hander out of u t Arlington, uh, gonna talk to his pitching coach uh Brady Cox from UTA on tomorrow's episode, who had nothing but great things to say to say about Carlos and basically was like, yeah, this guy is uh a first or second round talent if he's at an SEC school and he just maybe got a little overlooked uh, being at UTA, but uh, definitely some exciting stuff coming on on everybody getting drafted.
1: Absolutely. Love it. It really helps uh, get to know these guys right out of the draft and get more excited for them as they make their entrance into the system.
0: Yeah, Connor, we really look forward to hearing that. And thank you again for joining us tonight. And uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, be sure to look for our full interview with Ryan Fuller, that uh, is on YouTube now and will be posted as part of a special podcast episode this week. Uh, so we'll have info at that over at, at BSL on the Birds on Twitter. Be sure to join, hop on Baltimore Sports and Life. Uh, check out the latest content Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And hop on the message board to join the discussion there. Uh, for Nick Stevens and Bob Phelan, this is Zach Sweden. You've been listening to On the Birds.